beautiful, lovely people. Welcome back to the Keep Looking Up podcast. Okay, first of all, Jamie, before I tell everyone who you are, because it's just in my head, have you um, listened to Glennon Doyle's podcast, um, We Can Do Hard Things? Um, or have you heard I, of it? Yes, I have heard of it. I haven't ventured deep into it, honestly, just because I haven't devoted a lot of time to extra podcast listening right now. But yes, I've, I've heard good things. I mean, she's You're like, I'm making my own podcast. Okay, we don't have, we don't have <laughs> No, it's okay. Yeah, so yeah, so I, I listened to it religiously. Okay. Nice. Um, I listen to it all of the time and I love it so much. And I literally find myself being like, Hey, pod squatters. Cause that's like what she calls her like pod people. Like when I'm about to talk on my own podcast, I feel myself being like, welcome to, we can do hard things. That's so funny. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, um, I know yeah, you're like, so I'm tempted, like, but then that's going to get confusing very fast. Yes, I know. I know. Um, okay. Anyway. So we have Jamie with us today, you guys, it is a freaking special treat and we have, yeah, it is. And we've, we met on through social media, which is like how I meet lots of all of the amazing people these days. Um, but yeah, so Jamie is a mental health expert that specializes in toxic recovery. She helps people unlearn people pleasing process through generational trauma, as well as confidently lay boundaries she teaches her clients how to recognize toxic traits and behaviors in them, both themselves and others. She is a licensed mental health therapist in the state of New York, and she is a relational coach who helps clients build skills that society doesn't teach them. She works in religious, workplace, and generational trauma, family trauma, and is known through her mental health education channels as Recollected Self. <laughs> Welcome, Jamie. That's you. That's me. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, thank goodness. you so much for being with me today. I'm so happy to have you. Your freaking bio is so incredible. And before we get like started into all of it, I kind of want to hear like, how did you, I think my first question is how did you find this path? Like what, mm. did you always want to be a therapist? Is this always something that you wanted to do? Yeah. How did you get here and how did you get to be this specific type of therapy that you do? Yeah. So, I mean, I like to tell people the best therapists are people who've kind of lived and breathed and kind of understand what they're doing, you know, what they're asking their clients to do. Um, it doesn't mean that every therapist has to be in therapy, but a lot of my formation around mental health was kind of through my own traumas and my own, you know, childhood into my adulthood. And, um, you know, a lot of what I've found myself very passionate about and really dove deep into where some of my subspecialties are is reflective of that experience. You know, it's, it's a blend, honestly, what a lot of my clients will get is a blend of, wisdom that has been gained through years of experience, but also education. So that's kind of the blend that I think is, you know, the best kind of blend, you know, it's nice to have the experiential and I do think it's incredibly valuable, but it's kind of also nice to have that like added boost of education. So yeah. how I found myself, uh, as a therapist, honestly, um, I, my undergrad was in mental health and, um, it's kind of a funny thing that many people don't realize that when you go into your master's program, you don't necessarily have to have an undergrad in a psych program. And so 
it's a lot of the times overlooked, which is kind of funny to me. Like I don't ever get paid more than my colleagues that have this, that have a, that have an undergrad in like English, which is sad, right? Because my, I had four years of this entire, um, education base. So my undergrad was mental health. It literally was a subcategory between, it was kind of a blend of social work and psychology. They called it mental health and human services. And it was my undergrad. And so I've always very much found um, interest and activation and passion around mental health. And then, you know, a little bit of, I don't know how deep we're getting into the religious backstory, but then, you know, I found myself in like a very- Get into it. Yeah, yeah. I just found myself (laughs) in like a really fundamental, um, I typically refer to it as like a cult-ish type of experience when I was in my um, undergrad and uh, it's basically a subsect of my faith. So what uh, happened was I ended up getting married like right after I graduated. Like I was barely 20 something, you know, like just out of college. Um, Literally the month I graduated was the same month I got married. Um, So, so that's the thing is I was young and there was a lot of expectations going on on me really for just to be the good wife and to have lots of children and to just <laughs> be the, you know, faithful servant, you know. So mm-hmm. um that really was in contrast to what I I mean, yes, it's not like I didn't want children, but I I think I knew I wanted more out of life. I knew I wanted something of my own. I wanted to kind of develop my own skills. And so when we when me and my partner first got married, I actually ran into a lot of issues with pregnancy. Like I lost a couple of pregnancies. Mm. And so I actually didn't think I could have children for a while. Like I was in a mind space for a while that I just like, couldn't actually hold children. Like, and Mm. so I remember thinking, well, that's supposed to be my purpose because in my faith, like (laughs) if you get married and you don't have children, like that's a huge like blow to who you were supposed to be. So what do I have to offer now? Right. Which is so sad. Like looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so sad. But, um, but then I remember thinking, okay, well, obviously I'm having issues. So my brain was like, well, that's my purpose. And if I don't have that, then I might as well entertain my other purpose that I think I might have. Uh, so I applied to grad school. This is the funniest story. I actually applied to grad school and I got in to grad school like years before I actually went to grad school. Like I got into a program in another state, applied, did everything like got in. Um, so I would have been a therapist many years earlier if I actually went to this program. But yeah, when I got in literally like days after I got the acceptance, um, I found out I was pregnant. And oh, of shit. course, my brain was like, I'm probably going to lose the pregnancy because I kept losing pregnancies. And uh, I remember thinking, well, I guess I could just wait and see if this pregnancy ends up like hanging out. Uh, and yeah. so I think I waited a little bit. And then by the time the program started, it was clear I like my pregnancy was like going to be like, at least in my mind, gonna, gonna be okay. And so I was like, you know what? I have to choose between a career and motherhood. So I was like, <laughs> I choose motherhood. So I, so I basically told the program, like, I'm not, I'm not pursuing this. Um, and then I didn't do it. So I didn't do it. And that was years it was so funny as I look back and I was like, wow, I, I, the whole time I was like, basically knew I wanted to be a therapist, but there was this, there was this dissonance between, 
well, I need to be this, but I can't, I can't really be this because like, if I am, then I'm like turning my back on my vocation and like what God wants for me and all this stuff. So, so anyways, flash, fast forward to, I swear to God, it was probably like almost four years later that my brain was like, I, I honestly, looking back because I was still very deep into my very, very deep into my, um, rigid high, high demand control religion. Um, I don't know why I had the audacity. I look back, I'm like, how did I have the audacity to apply? Because I had two, at that point I had two children. I didn't have three. I had two children and I was like the wife of like someone who's like working all the time. And I didn't have all of this extra time and I didn't have all of this extra, you know, stuff. So when I look back and I applied, I'm like, there had to have been something so deep. And I tell this to my clients. I go, there are there are very deep wisdoms within yourself. Mm. There are very, very deep wisdoms within yourself. And even in um, environments that really don't foster that wisdom, every once in a while when you entertain it, it's amazing what, what can happen. So I, I look back and for people who might think, oh, well, you know, Jamie must have gotten out of that construct of, oh, you got to be this way. I wasn't, I was absolutely feeling like I had to stay the wife and the mother and I had to homeschool and I had to do everything yeah. right. And I realized that looking back, I'm like, wow, I had some, I had some audacity right there because I I went ahead and did it. And I have a supportive partner. My partner is like a very supportive human. So That's awesome. um he was like, we'll make it work. It's going to be like, we both knew it was going to be super hard because he was working. I was raising two kids. I mean, he was raising them with me, but we were raising right. two kids. And then I go to school and uh, my this is why I tell this story because my religion was very, very controlling. Like we weren't allowed to use birth control. Um, I spent 10 years scared every time I had sex, whether or not I was going to be pregnant every time, every time, every freaking time. Like, I'm not going to swear. I don't want to like mess with your explicit rating, oh, no, no, but like, uh, go for it. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I always have to change that blubber. No. I have to be like, oh, I swore on this one. <laughs> but like, it's all good. Uh, no, it's fine. It's just like every time I, I'm not kidding. Every time I had this like baseline fear. And when I talk about body autonomy now, that's where some of that passion comes from because my body wasn't literally owned by me for about 10 years. And, and I wouldn't even say it was owned by my partner. It was owned by this ideology. It was owned by this ideology. So what ended up happening was surprise. I would try to do my best. Like anyone who's in the, you know, like the cycle stuff, they get that. Like there's ways to kind of do it without, but it's very, it's not foolproof. Let's just say that it's hard. Um, it is not foolproof. <laughs> uh, it is very difficult to try to read your body and try to understand. So I'm not going to go into that, but basically we were doing our best without using, you know, the, you know, conventional birth control. Um, and I was trying my best because I was in grad school at that point. And then I ended up pregnant And when I tell you I was, and I love my daughter, like I will tell her this story probably one day when she talks about her own body, body autonomy, but like not in a way to like condemn her, but I, I remember the feeling of finding out I was pregnant with her. And like, it was one of those things where I was like, it was this weird manifestation of like, 
you don't get to be in your own body ever. You don't get to live your own dreams. You don't get to pursue your own things. And it wasn't her. Like, this is what I was saying. I'm like, listen, this is not my daughter's fault. It's not my daughter's fault at all. Like, and I, I am not that parent that I'm like, oh, uh, because I had that child, I'm going to punish her for the rest of my life. Like, Hmm. I fully know that she's like an amazing human that brought amazing things to my life. What I think happened in that moment though, was like this blend. And I teach my, you know, I say this on my podcast there are co-occurring emotions that are happening. I was incredibly happy that, especially because she was, I had two boys. I find, I found out I had, oh, I have a girl, like, cool, yeah. like, that's awesome. Um, you know, and so when I found that out, it was like a very blended experience where I was experiencing like the joy of like finding out like, oh, this is like, you know, this is a new addition to our family. But then also I was like, I don't have my body again. And I was facing possibly altering my plans for grad school. I had one of my professors that was like, you should just go part-time, which means like, I would have had to extend everything about two or three, three years at that point. Mm -hmm. And I was like, listen, like, and I remember being like angry and I wasn't angry <laughs> at my child. I was angry that I had to live in this body that I didn't get to pursue like anything without there being these like blockades or things. And what's so funny is most of the time in the cultural narrative, they'll be like, okay, well, if you don't want to get pregnant, don't have sex. But what's <laughs> funny, here's, here's what's funny is we would actually entertain that because in our like fundamentalist thing, if someone was trying to do something because we couldn't use birth control, many times they called it living as like, uh, like a Josephite marriage. I don't know if you're familiar with this Josephite marriage. Mm-hmm. Like it's basically like, and this is, this is how I know I was so deep in this because these are oh natural terms to me. They're called Josephite <laughs> marriage. So basically a Josephite marriage is like, let's say, I don't, I'm trying to think of like, let's say there's a medical condition that you genuinely can't get pregnant. Like the doctor's like, you have to use birth control. Right, and you're right. like, no, I'm not going to use birth control. Well, what a, what one of our religious leaders would be like, well, okay, your only option is Josephite marriage, which would be living as brother and sister. Like you literally don't ever have sex. Like you don't, and you don't have any, oh. like Mackenzie, you don't have any type of sex. Like you don't have like, what? no, like th- this is how rigid are. You couldn't, you couldn't do like the other stuff. Like you could not engage sexually with each other. And so, oh what, my God, why this was so detrimental. And this is why I invite people to go listen to, go listen to the religious trauma stuff. Cause some of this stuff gets oh, no, really deep. Please. But like yeah. what happened was I remember being like, I am, I, and I don't mean stuck. Like I'm stuck with my parent, I, my parent, I'm, I'm not stuck yes. with my partner. I was realizing I'm stuck in a construct. I'm stuck in a construct that like, in theory, I'm supposed to be or allowed to have sex in, but I can't have sex because if I do, then I get pregnant. And if I get pregnant, then I can't pursue my dreams. And if I pursue my dreams and I am pregnant, it makes everything because people are like, oh, don't say you can't, you can. And I go, listen, I'm done with talking around things. Like the practicality of children is they cost money. They they are demanding. Uh, we love them, but they are energetically <laughs> something to invest in. And so when I'm trying to invest my energy into education and I, I get pulled back into a different energy and I absolutely have to validly put energy into that because I'm not about to neglect my child. Yeah. We are blinded and bypassing the experiences of so many human beings that are saying, Oh yeah, you could do it. I could do it. Or I, I had enough family. It takes a village. And I go, honestly, (laughs) 
some people don't have money, they don't have family, or they don't have the energy, or they're chronically ill, and they don't have the ability to actually maintain another person's life, let alone their own. So like, the amount of times people have looked at me and been like, you can do it. And I'm like, fucking shut up. I know. It just, you don't know my life. (laughs) Exactly. And that's why I think it would make me so angry is because it, it felt like I was living in this like Stepford wives mentality where people were like, everything's fine and you're going to make it. And even when I would find, when I told people I was pregnant, they're like, you're going to be fine. You know what? Life will, life, life will find a way. And I'd be like, listen, like you're bypassing my entire emotional experience in this. And I remember being devastated. I was devastated that I would possibly not be able to pursue my dreams. There were moments where I was in deep, dark places where I thought, what's the point? Like, I'm just going to have, no. And I'm being like, there were moments where I was like, I'm just, I was at that point, I was not even, I would only even think I was close to 30. I think I was like 20. Oh my God. I don't even know. I was, I was like 27 at that point. And I remember thinking like, I have probably a, probably a solid 10 years of fertility left at least because my family, I'm not going to go into it, but my family is these weird anomalies where they have children very late and always freaks me out. I'm like, Oh my God, which I, not that you can't, of course you can, yeah, of course. but like, it freaked me out because I was the one who didn't have the ability to control when I would get pregnant. So my brain would be like, I have at least 10 years left in my fertility. That means I could have four more children. I could yeah. I possibly more. Right. And so my brain would get into dark places and people would be like why are you looking at this like it's such a bad thing and I'm like I'm being real like four more children on top of my three that makes that literally it means I have seven children what am I supposed am I supposed to be incredibly rich or constantly push my children onto other people so I can pursue a co-passionate experience that I want for myself which is a career And so I remember that actually people ask me, what was the moment of deconstruction? Honestly, when I've thought about this a long time, because it's been years now. And I think, um, I think to myself, I'm like, I swear it was like body. It was body autonomy. It was literally like being in my body. It was embodiment. I had to be back in my body. I had to gain sovereignty over my body. And my body was like, I'm I can't, I can't live in this ideology anymore because it's unsustainable for every single part of who you are in the just screaming at you. Exactly. Yeah. I, sorry, I word vomited, but yeah, I want to hear your thoughts. Cause like, literally I just, these are, no, I'm sitting, I talk about coexisting emotions. I'm over here. Like just like so overjoyed that like you've come from this place right experiencing that joy with you but then like moments of just like I feel the deep pain because there's so much of what you're saying that I'm just resonates with me right. in my own story in life so it's it's hitting those nerves of just being like yep 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 I mean the Josephite marriage I'm surprised I've never heard that term I mean what the fuck I can't so even bad. I cannot it's even with that so yeah rough. that's crazy were you in well were you in evangelicalism? So I was actually in, uh, and this is why people get confused when they hear my story. I was in basically a fundamentalist version of Catholicism. Um, and so why, and people actually realize that about Catholicism, they go, Oh yeah. Aren't the really rigid Catholics. They're the ones that can't use birth control. And I'm like, Oh yeah. And then you get into the like intensely rigid cat. Like we were 
we were so, when I look back, I was, it was so strict. Like it wasn't, it wasn't your run of the mill Catholic school where like things were just like, you know, go, go to this, go to this service and, you know, run along your merry way and, you know, pretend everything's good. It was very, very like restrictive. That's why when I tell people, how did these things happen? Like you get the Liberty universities, you get on my university, which is Franciscan University, if, if anyone's Catholic and knows about this university, <sighs> it basically is, it's one of those things that when you get subculture in a specific belief system, and it happens in any belief system, I don't want to say it's only happening in Christianity, right. but when you get subcultures, like literal microcultures, the sociology around that microculture can get incredibly harmful very fast. And mm. so what happened is there's this greater ideology, which most people will hear, oh yeah, like, ah, I know, a cat. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I've never, never run into a, an extreme one yet. And you're like, <laughs> okay, well, well, truly, I mean, if I took any religion out of a hat, like you're going to find radical orthodoxy, you're going to find you know, we have the LDS and the FLDS, right? And they're like, don't talk to us. We don't want to be associated with them. And that happened in some parts of our church. Like there would be people that were very against the type of Catholicism that was found where I went to school. And they would be like, we don't, we don't agree with that. We don't agree with the type of stuff. And we wouldn't understand because we'd be like, we're doing everything right. We're, be, we're the real Catholics. Right. Um, and they, we would look at everyone because they, it literally is called like the city on the hill. Like we literally look down Damn. at every other person and say, not that, not, no one's actually saying this because right. You're not allowed to look down on people, of course, but, of course. but because we are holy and yeah. they are phoning it in, <laughs> we're doing it right. And they're not doing it right. You know? And so we would yeah. meet these other Catholic, you know, variant of people and they, we'd be like, yeah. Um, you don't do that. Um, yeah, you're not really like doing it right. You know? And so it was uh, very like, an, it was an us versus them. Yeah. So it, it's definitely an evangelicalism. It's definitely in some of the like Calvinistic, like people who are doing it right. And people who aren't doing it right. We're not right. Yeah. I, so I grew up in evangelicalism and I also, I grew up in I think it progressively got more cult-like as I got older, like the churches that I became involved with, if you know what I'm saying, it was like, it started off like kind of cute. Like you're just like raising your family, like in an environment where like, we're just going to be Christians and go to church. Yeah. 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 And then all of a sudden you're like, I'm in in a cult. So I, I legitimately, I mean, I was also, you know, it was, I didn't take birth control. I experienced all of the, like, you know, my body is not my own mm-hmm. at all. It is owned by something entirely. I, I was, I gave up all of my hopes and dreams. I mean, I gave up everything ever to go be a missionary's wife and travel overseas to the most dangerous places ever for Christians to go and try to spread the gospel, you know, while I was pregnant with another child. Wow. And I, I have memories of I'm not going to go into my deconstruction (laughs) story, but just like, I have memories of like what I'm talking about with my moment of deconstruction, it was around parenting. So it was around motherhood and it's similar to yours in the way that I was like, um, fuck this and how you're telling me this needs to be done or what this is supposed to look like. Who is someone else to tell me what this relationship with myself Mm -hmm. and my children is supposed to look like? It can't come from you because you didn't 
they didn't, they didn't get built in your body. Like they didn't get built in your body. You didn't develop that relationship. There's some sort of like, there's just an intuition that you have, I guess, as a mother where it's like, I'm not going to do this thing. And then I was having these moments where I was like, really, I was really like afraid to speak my mind in these spaces, but I would come to like leadership and my husband in these rooms. And I would be like, listen, I'm terrified on the inside. I was angry, but I was also scared. Right. But I can't say I'm angry. So I just said that I was scared. Right. So I'm like, listen, I'm terrified to go to this place with this child and this, this like also being pregnant, Yeah, like you literally about to have another child to take care of. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, I'm terrified to do this thing. And it's like, you're talking about with the spiritual bypassing, instead of like addressing what is going on inside of the person in front of you, it's all of a sudden, like, we're going to speak, start screaming in tongues and like, you're going to fall on the ground and we're going to pray that the demons will be released from you, the demons of doubt. Right. And it's just like sitting like that's, it's just, I started to like come out of these rooms and it, it was like, all of a sudden the veil had just been lifted for me. Like I was in, I was in it entrenched in it. I bought into it. I did all of the things, but I just had these moments where I was all of a sudden something was more important. Like it was like this, like little, like this, these me and these two little girls, I was like, this is just more important. Whatever the fuck is going on with you guys, like whatever the fuck this shit is, like, I don't give, I don't care. Yeah. So like, you're not going to yes. pray demons out of my body <sighs> when yeah. I have like, I'm like holding a child's hand and 100%. growing another one inside of me. Like we're not doing yeah. this bullshit now. Right. So I had like, those were my moments for me where I was starting to be like, yeah, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to participate in this anymore. But the process of that and like the unraveling and the deconstructing of of all of that takes time and is still like, it's still doing it right. Like it's still happening. It's like, I think it's just going to be like forever. It is. It's an evolution. Yeah. Yeah. So what's interesting you said about, oh, this is so, I'm trying to remember who it was. There's, I follow a bunch of deconstruction stuff online. Um, and I loved one creator. I want to say it was Andrew Krebb. He does deconstruction, everything or deconstructing everything or something. He's taken a break. So you guys might not see a lot from him, but basically he, I want to say it was him. It was basically talking about how do you know that something, when someone says cult, what do they typically think of? Like heaven's gate. They think of the like mass deconstruction or like deconstruction. They think of the like mass graves and stuff. But what's interesting is there's this spectrum that we're dealing with, right? We're looking at the most radicalist of radical people that are making it to the level of what we believe as a cult. But what's so interesting, and I loved the way he laid it out, which was he talked about different layers of what possibly could make it feel beyond like high demand and control. It's, It's actually turning into what we would consider a cult. And one of the things he went over a couple of things, but one of the things that really grabbed me, which is where I start unabashedly with, with no shame, actually do calling myself someone who got indoctrinated with a cult is, is genuinely this topic, which is you, this one point, which is the point that he made is he said, when you bring something to either the religious leaders or the people that are guiding the faith or the people that are indoctrinating whatever you bring up some part of humanity so for example like 
I don't want to raise my children in the Ecuadorian jungle. I don't want to like, or I am about to, I, I have an illness that must prevent me from pregnancy. And I don't want to live in a Josephite marriage. I think I'm going to use birth control. So what he said, and he didn't go into this much detail, but I'm, I'm working, I'm walking you guys through it. So basically (laughs) he said, when the religion chooses the theological ideology over the humans, right? So this is, this is what was happening in my faith. It sounds like it was happening in yours where we would go to the leaders and they would say, I'm sorry, this is the teaching. I'm sorry. This is your call. I'm sorry. This is your vocation. I'm sorry. God, God deemed it to be so. And so therefore what we were having to do was our humanity. And this is why I'm telling you, follow the journey that we started over there, because I'm telling you, we, we hit this the other day we hit this point the other day which was when your humanity becomes deemed the enemy like literally by presenting your humanity yes you presented your humanity to the ideology and they said oh i'm sorry your sickness must be of the devil oh i'm sorry your passion to protect must be must be ill-advised and it must be from some type of demonic oppression when that happens, I'm telling you what you just said, there's something inside of you that says, I'm wise. I trust myself. I know that this passion within me to protect my children or my future children or myself is yeah. one of the things that anyone who is identifying as a woman can I can sit there and understand. They can understand we are allowed to have the audacity to think about ourselves, to protect <laughs> ourselves to love ourselves. Right. And so, right. And so even if the children weren't involved, when I get to the point where I sit there and I go, Oh my God, I'm not being selfish. I'm genuinely just trying to make sure that whatever's going on in my life is like tenable or sustainable or whatever. And I get a religious ideology that says, um, you're going against God and we're choosing the ideology, but before we can even consider how, how complex you are. Sorry, you're too complex. Oh, oh, you have a complex sexuality. Oh, you have a complex medical <sighs> history. Oh, you have a complex child. Um, that doesn't fit in our model. Yes. So, um, that must be God was the one who made your child or not God. God was, God didn't want this for you. Like you must've been sinful yes. when you were pregnant. So your child was disabled. Like that's right. how bad it gets. It's not yes. always in every religion. But in some religions, it genuinely gets that bad. So for example, I work with a lot of clients that, I mean, well, I work with like a small fraction, I should say. I work with a lot of clients with trauma. I work with a lot, like a small portion will experience like religious trauma. But when I work with them, it's so interesting because what I hear thematically is this like, when it gets to the worst of the worst, and this is why I speak hyperbolic in a way because it actually exists. People hear these things and they go, no, 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 no one could ever say that to somebody. And I go, no, yeah. it's everyday experiences for some of yes. these people. And there have been instances like thematically where someone would be like, oh, your husband's abusing you. What are you doing Yep. to elicit that abuse? Yep. So now we're talking about like, Remember, and they bind that to the divinity of like the most sacred thing to you, which is God. So they're saying, how are you not praying enough? How have you not been 
how have you not reformed yourself enough? How have you not done any restoration for your sins? Like, what are you not doing? Because if you're constantly getting punished by some physical manifestation, there must be something that you're also doing. And when those themes come out, I'm telling you of any listener is, is <laughs> ever has experienced this right now, I am telling you, I don't have any problem saying not only is that trauma, but that is incredibly abusive. It is incredible. Absolutely abuse. Yeah, it absolutely is. I've seen a lot of brave people come out of religious trauma. I've, I've, as I've been walking this journey, I've had the privilege of meeting a lot of really brave people. It's, it's an, it's a, it's a courageous act to deconstruct your, your religion. It really is. It's massive. It's life altering. It's life changing. It's and it's terrifying because you have to jump off of something into the unknown entirely, especially if you've built your life on this, like from from the time I was seven years old, I was building this life, you know? So it's like you build your whole life on it. And then all of a sudden one day you're like, well, this is bullshit. And that's where the trust thing comes in for me. And that's part of like one of the biggest things I'd love to hear like you talk on, because this has been a struggle I've had within myself and a struggle that I've seen across the board is I'm seeing people trust themselves enough. Like I had the trust within myself to be like, fuck this, right? I'm walking away. But then after that, the trauma really settles in like it really because there's like this moment there's there's this time and space where you're kind of living off of it's it's almost miraculous actually in my experience which is like a, a spiritual term but it feels miraculous in the sense that you're just like no I'm not doing this and some sort of like internal power just like comes over you and you're able to just I mean the things that I like actually I haven't shared the story yet but I actually went through an experience where I like I had to like get myself out of like a foreign country. So like there's this internal thing that happened where I was just like experiencing a massive amount of strength, okay? Mm -hmm. To be able to like do these things to like get myself and my children out of these situations. But then once you're kind of like back home or like whatever it is, right? You're like out of that. Like you're kind of just taking yourself and plucked yourself into a new life. But there's no structure within this like new life that all of a sudden you're in, like the adrenaline of that is gone. And you're just like sitting in the newness of this. That's when I experienced all of the layers of the trauma that now I'm kind of trudging through over these last four or five years. And a lot of that has come with, I'm just going to name the few things. So my biggest thing within myself is that I think that I'm crazy because like everything that I ever experienced, I'm like, well, this is just proof that I'm a whack job. Like that's literally how my brain works, right? That I have to constantly tell myself that I can trust my own decisions, that I can even make decisions like at all about anything, right? It's like, I chose like where to hang the picture. Like, this is not a joke. Like I chose where to hang pictures on my wall this week. I chose where to hang pictures on my wall without asking, asking anyone where they would look best. And I'm literally, I sit there and I look at them and I'm like, that's a horrible place to put those pictures. Like, that's how I'm, that's where, how deep this shit goes. Right. So it's like learning how, but then I look back and I'm like, wow, that brave girl who was like 19, 20 years old. Right. Who just like did all of those things. That's you. Hmm. Right. But then it's also, I, I think the big aspect with trust and religious trauma as you're deconstructing is that for me, I believed this for so long. So if I could believe that for so long, so much so that I would like 
give up everything and like be willing to move to the Middle East to like tell all those people that they should believe in it. How the question, right, is how do I trust myself now with my mental health? How do I trust myself in the raising of my children? How do I trust myself with my new beliefs? How do I trust myself with my new spirituality? Because also I would consider myself a very spiritual person. So I have the spiritual connection that didn't die when I left my religion. So now I'm sitting around and I'm like, okay, is this real? Do I, is there, am I really connected to this thing? Or is this just like the remnants of what I was taught? Is this the thing that really saved me? Because I also felt like as I was leaving, there was this very, there was something greater than me that was also me that was kind of like helping me escape this traumatic experience. It's also helped me come into myself. It's helped me um, own my sexuality and like be that with my family. I, it's helped me learn how to be a mom on my own. It's like this higher power where I'm able to just be like, I don't know how the fuck to do this. Can you help me? Right. And I don't always like, I think some people deconstruct and they don't need that right? So there's like, mm. they, they just walk away. I have had this experience of both. And a big thing too, and this was my, one of my questions I wanted to ask you. I'm surprised that you were pursuing a mental health profession while you were in yeah. this religion, because I struggled with a lot of mental health, especially after I, after I had my first daughter, a postpartum, and it sent my chemicals into a spiral. I was, I mean, the talk of like medication or like seeing a therapist was like, no, right. right? Like go to the prayer room for 24 hours, (laughs) you know? So it's like, you don't need that. And I still see that in my family. Oh yeah. That's so common. That's so. Yeah. So how, so now I'm learning like to even trust, like my mental health journey as something right. separate and you know what I mean all Integrated, of this yeah I hear a yeah. lot of like themes of trust it's like interesting because what what I hear you walking through is almost like your own sovereignty and not that not that like and people hear that and they're like oh so because we deconstruct we become our own gods and I'm like that's not what we're talking about we're talking about your energy and your power within yourself and actually right. believing that that's that's actually like Wiz, that's your wisdom. That's your, that's your truth. That's your, that's you respecting the natural. Like I, I always envision, like if we're these balls of energy, I envision my energy having almost this natural path. Right. And so some people might look at that path and be like, oh, there's something on the other side, pulling that energy toward it. Right. So there's something that I'm seeking. Right. But in theory, I almost look like I'm I'm the energy. And then the, like, if you think of you're the water and then the gate that opens is it's not that someone's pulling the water to that gate. It's that you're the energy and your energy is so strong that when it gets so strong and so confident, it will flow towards something, not because someone's seeking it, but because you are strong enough. Right. And so, and I'm not saying that that's going to be the case for everyone, but for example, like people hear that and they go, Oh, so when you say source and you say like, so you're God. And I'm like, listen, I, we don't have to get in the theology of where I am now, but like, I do not look at this as like, we are becoming gods. I look at this as we are becoming steeped in our own wisdom and our own energy. And we become Mm. familiar with that. And by doing that, we can honor and respect and discern 
where that might need to go. So for example, when you're like, I feel like I, I had power and I feel like sometimes I can just do something, right? Sure. I, I look back at my deconstruction. It's so interesting because I, I, I don't want to paint it pretty. It was a really difficult time. It was incredibly tumultuous. I made incredibly harmful decisions for myself and harmful decisions for others. I nearly literally probably lost my entire family. Like mm -hmm. I went through some of, and some of this was literally self-imposed. Like these aren't things that are like, oh, they happened to me. Like I, I truly were like, it was like the wilderness was, um, my therapist, this is, this is a little peek into my therapy. My therapist calls it a pendulum swing, which I don't know mm -hmm. if you guys have ever heard this, but for example, like when you become a radicalized faith person, like in your belief system, I don't want to say like, cause I know that not everyone's radicalized in Christianity, but right. like when you become radicalized in your religion, you're over on one side of a pendulum, like very, very, very yes. like, and it doesn't swing. It stays stuck. It is incredibly embedded on yeah. this side of the coin. Okay. And if you even shake that a little bit, right? If you shake yeah. it a little bit and it gets unwedged and you go, I I'm asking questions. I'm allowing myself to move. I'm allowing myself to, to explore. And it releases. She gives me this visual. She's like, Jamie, when I tell you that pendulum swung, so fucking hard. <laughs> like, and it did, it yeah. literally was like, there was no balance. And, and this is what I hear you talking about with trust. And this is, it's so interesting. Like intuitively, it sounds like this is where you fell anyways, but when you are in these newer stages of deconstruction, what typically can happen is you were never taught to self-trust because your yeah. trust was external, right? Your trust is in the Lord. Your trust is in right. the external. Your trust is in the religious leaders. Your trust is in your spouse. It can't be, it has to never be. You, in you. You're the last one. You're the yeah. last one to trust. Out of everybody, it goes, you know, highest of the holy is holy is divine. Then we have like any of the, you know, the uh, religious MVP or v v VIPs, right? And right. then we have the, and then we have the leaders and then we have your, let's say your, your uh, spouse or something. Okay. Right. Um, but you're even the, with the divine, like you said, I never even felt like I could trust God. Cause I feel like I was trusting God. And then I'd be like, this is what I feel. And then they're like, oh, well, no. It's not right, that. but it was always this fight for who is the person that you're right. going to trust, right? So right. even if it wasn't God, it was like, oh, a leader is the interpreter. It has to be like, a leader. And then yeah, your partner was like, I don't, you know, whatever. And so what ends up happening is when you deconstruct, your brain is like very. I mean, I shouldn't say generally, but like in my case, I'll speak for me. I was very stripped of my identity. I genuinely was very stripped down to my identity, which means there was no stabilizer. There was no moderator. There was nothing within me to modulate any of the energies that were coming in. It was like a, it was like a combustible like thing that was just like, there was no source of containment. It was just anything goes flow wherever it flows. Right. Yeah. And so because of that, why this is so scary for people is they genuinely will make decisions in those moments that aren't reflective of their identity. And that's exactly my story. Like when I look back at when I started deconstructing the choices I was making, I was like, I don't think I want to be a mom. I don't think I want to be married. I don't yes. think I want to do this. I don't know if I want to live like literally like things that like aren't me. And I can say that with yes. certainty, like they're not me. They are not me. But because 
when you are told who you are your entire yes. life, like nearly almost three decades of my life, I was told who I was. The second I said, I'm not sure, my brain goes, all right, well then just, you gotta figure it out and you have to make decisions in these unknowns. Yes. And so there is damage that can happen. Like I absolutely have, I had new traumas that occurred yes. post deconstruction because of that uncertainty. And so when your question is, okay, so now you're in the wilderness. Well, first of all, let's just speak plainly. Like, I just want to validate that there are going to be decisions that you might make. And I always talk about sexuality. You might be like, oh yeah, I'm totally a lesbian. And then you're like, oh no, I actually do like men or, oh no, I'm queer or whatever. And guess what? Because you're not in this strict religious ideology anymore, you're allowed to be in the gray. You're allowed to lean more into men and be a little bit attracted to women. You're allowed your attraction to women to be different than the men you are attracted to. You're allowed to express your sexuality in different ways. You're allowed yeah. to try out new clothes. You're allowed to do this and this. And that is so foreign to people because they're like, <laughs> no, 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 it had to be one or the other. So if I deconstruct, I if I even question my sexuality, I have to be full on one right. or the other, right? And right. I go... See, but that that's where when you said even those trickles of like the old ideology yes. infiltrate your new life that's one of the things that we're doing we're not just deconstructing ideologies anymore we're deconstructing yeah. core concepts of dualistic dichotomous like all of these like very one way or the other black or white all or nothing and when i look and show up to my world and i go listen I have been toxic. I have hurt people. And I am radically trying to heal a lot of people, like in reach a lot of people at the same time. I am not your hero. I am not your, I am not. Yes. Like I, I think some people find me inspiring, but I also have incredible wounds and, and have incredibly wounded other people. So yeah. we, we are taught from these religious like constructs that when someone's supposedly good and inspiring, we're going to idolize them. We're going right. to say, well, Jamie has it all together. She's been doing therapy. She has our, like her partner is this, her kids are this. She must be this, this, and this. And I'm like, mm, no, I have had so many things. If I ever, I always tell people, if I wrote a memoir, you would be like dropping the, dropping the book on the floor. You'd be like, what, what, why is Jamie, you know, why is Jamie doing these things? And it's yeah. like, listen, that unfortunately that was part of my story in order to become who I am right now, which means exactly. I was able, uh, like when I made some of these decisions and I was like, basically like at one point I literally didn't think I was going to be the primary caregiver of my children. I was like, I think I'm just going to leave. Like who is I abandoned my kids? Like, and, and, yeah. and it's funny because men do it all the time, but I remember thinking right. like, is that, is that what I need to do? Because there was a part of me that was so confined by motherhood and yes. the marriage yes. construct that yes. I was like, my brain was like, fucking run, like get the fuck out. And yeah. I remember because I would allow myself to ask that question. I was like, okay, am I, am I going to leave my kids? Like, what am I going to do here? And so people might hear that and they're like, oh, the monstrosity. Why would you ever entertain that? <laughs> but what's so interesting is like, it took me to yes. say those things out loud, to actually know if I wanted to fight for this part of my life, to be passionate about myself, right? I By could your be... own choice. Exactly. And yeah. so that's why I think it does, when you're asking like, what is the cost of self-trust? Honestly, it's fucking up. Like you yes, have to is. kind of yes. 
you have to kind, and I don't mean, and this is why there's so much difficulty when people hear this and they go, Jamie, if you were hurting people, did you ask her? Of course, I still yeah. to this day screw up. I make choices that aren't really always reflective of what I really am and who I really want to be. And so what my only responsibility is at this point is to nurture that part of me that questions, hey, it sounds like you were struggling with being honest with them. Like you didn't lie, but you didn't really show up honest with them. Like, why are you not being honest? Do you not feel safe with them? Do you not want to be honest with this part of yourself? Do you not want to tell yourself the truth? Like that, that mechanism inside of you, those skills that are being fostered, the only way you can foster those is to actually sit with the dissonance of the exactly of the things you did no it's absolutely true right. yeah that's exactly what and that's how exactly what you're saying is how I feel my journey is going it's mm-hmm. a lot of having actual conversations with the girl who left the cult right so like the girl who left the cult that's that feels like the essence of me like those those choices that's that salvation of self that um, demand for like existing as a person, like I exist separate. Like I just exist as me in this world. Like I am a thing, like I am a person, you know, it's not, I'm not, I'm not a person because you say that I'm something. Right. And so like that voice existed in me enough to honestly save myself and my children. I really do believe that that is what happened. And, um, and while my ex-husband and I went separate ways and didn't stay married, he also left that and were able to like raise our children like outside of this belief system entirely, which is uh, fucking awesome and incredible. And I'm so thankful for it. Right. But I made a ton of choices as well that were so toxic, so destructive, played into the, into the ending of my marriage, all of the things, right. You're just trying to come to terms with it. Like who is that person and who is the person I'm becoming? Exactly. But it takes, but, and I think as I was making those choices that were like blowing up my life, you know, so to speak, I was still not having the conversation with her. Like I was just doing all of this. It was just just a pendulum swinging and you were trying to figure out where's the balance. Right. Yeah. And I have a lot of grace looking back at that. Like I have a lot of like, I just really, there's so much forgiveness inside of myself for that, that person who still makes decisions now. Like you said, like, I still can sometimes like be super chaotic and like, look back and be like, what did I just do? Why did I just do that? You know, but ultimately now, as I've started to, like, as I watched myself, like, light the match and, like, throw it on the house and, like, watch it burn. And then I'm just like, da, 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 this is great, right? And it wasn't great at all. Eventually, you get to a point where you're like, oh, fuck, like, I don't have a home to go back to, right? So you have to, like, look at the rubble and be like, well, what am I going to do now? Like, as the pendulum starts to, like, come back into balance, yeah, right? right? And you start right. to be like, okay, so what does this look like, right? And like right. you're saying it looks like a lot of these conversations of being able to forgive myself enough for the decisions I've made to be able to come back to myself and be like, why can you actually look at this thing? What does this look like moving forward? I caused trauma with my children. 
a hundred percent that they live with now that it's it's in them because it happened when they were little and it's in living in their bodies we still deal with this stuff today how do you show up for them now right because some of that is like not wanting to look at it because it's triggering to me and the things that I did that caused this effect right but it's like being able to show up in those in that mess with a lot of forgiveness because of this part of life where you were stuck on this side of things, right? You were totally bound to something, right? So this part is normal. So now that you're here, it's like, okay, well, who am I really? And how do I show up for this place? And then what the beautiful part of it is, is that I can see how when the moments like, say my, my child, like, goes off of the rails and I can see where this thing is coming from. And there's an opportunity for me to look away from it and be like, I am the reason that my child struggles with this thing or show up for your child. Right. Cause like the, I'm the reason that my child is this way can like lead to an outburst or right. to like, a like you're angry down. that it's getting shown. Right. Exactly. Yes. Right. And so like you can, there's an, a myriad of ways you can respond from that place of being triggered. Or, I, and I've had those, plenty of those moments, right? And then I had the moments where I'm just like, this is where we're at. And you like sit on the floor and you like have the moment with your children. And then I'm able to look back at that and be like, oh, that is why you can fucking trust yourself because you are capable of staying in those moments. Like you're capable of being with yourself now. I'm capable of existing in my body. Right. Like right. that's something new. Exactly. Yeah. That's what's so sad. I mean, but I know, I know we were going to have to go in a second, but like, I think there is some beauty there. And I think this is just like the beginning of many people's journeys is what does it mean to trust yourself after you've been told your entire life that you don't have wisdom and you don't have the ability to create this moderation. Like I get told, I mean, this is actually something that happens. I get told like, I don't have the ability to create morality. And I'm like, well, the only way I can create a substantial experience of morality Mm -hmm. is by actually experiencing variations of like, there's a reason why people don't push everyone into traffic, like, because there's a deep sense of morality within everybody. Right. And so how do we understand that? We have to actually like ask the hard questions and be like, I, I am I do have like goodness and, and, and like charity and like kindness and compassion deep within myself. And all I have to do is like, ask the question, like, Hey, that wasn't very kind to you. Like, why, why are you being unkind to yourself? Or what, you know, you ask those questions. And so why that's hard is because not only are you dialoguing with yourself, but nine times out of 10, you're going to have to come to terms with something that you did that Hmm. you don't necessarily are, you're not necessarily proud of, or it didn't really reflect your true nature. Right. So that means you have to get uncomfortable, which is just, that's the hard part. You got to get uncomfortable. Yes. Yes. And, and it also is, it's an interesting journey back to humanity, because like you were saying in your experience Mm -hmm. with you, with the religion that you grew up in and were part of, I also experienced that, um, the entire religion was really how to stop being human. And so now, Oh my God, that's so good. (laughs) Yeah. So So now like the things that you're talking about, like there are things innately within us. It's why we don't just push people out into traffic all day long, Mm. 
that's we're getting back in touch with our humanity and there is goodness in your humanity like you can find safety in your humanity we are human beings like we actually are and that's a beautiful thing and it's complex but that complexity is what makes us who we are like when we say that complexity is a is a wound or an illness or something that's not of this that uh, not of god like and we start reclaiming that no that part of me is that complexity is what makes me who i am right and that that's antithesis to basically what many of us have been taught so I know I have to go. Yes, <laughs> yes. No, this is great. This is great. Thank you so much, Jamie, for this Aww, conversation. I know. Honestly, Hopefully we we'll could talk, talk all day long about all of the things. But um, okay, before you go, um, I'm going to give you a phrase and you are going to respond with the first thing that comes to your mind. It could be anything at all. Okay, it could be one word to like a sentence or a picture or a feeling or a color, whatever you want. Okay, so when I say keep looking up, what comes up in you? Uh, I feel hope, hope for, hope for where I'm headed and hope for basically that feeling of, I get to be, I get to write the story. I have hope that I'm walking forward in the narrative that like, that actually resonates deep within my soul. So that's, that's what I mean. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Well, there you go. We have, it's the same way for me, hope in the walking forward and and writing my own story. So thank you. I love that. All right, we'll talk soon. (laughs) Bye. Okay, bye. (laughs)